Welcome to Rogue Boys, the basketball series, as promised, anticipated getting a, a World Cup preview for the Boomers and, and the tournament itself uh, before the game start here in three or four days. We're here recording live from Australia. And I'm joined by Kane Pittman from uh, ESPN. He's calling the games for ESPN, a basketball pundit here, pretty well known if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan or an Australian Boomers fan. Kane, welcome to the show. No, thanks for having me. I was uh, very happy to get the text from you, mostly because uh, people might not know this, but I would say over the last five or six years, I've hit you up, I don't know how many times, 20, 25 times for podcasts, different shows and those types of things. So I, I owe you more than a couple. I oh, no, appreciate that. I always try to give back um, <laughs> to, to people that follow the game. I was, of course, drafted in an era where there was not a lot of basketball coverage in Australia. So it's it's kind of gone full circle from 15 years ago to where it is now. But uh, I try to get different different basketball brains on, especially from an Australian point of view. And I think you'll uh, give us some 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 good feedback on on what's going on with the Boomers. And that's where we will start. Um, I'm sure you caught all the all the games in Melbourne. Um, how, how did you think they went first and foremost? Well, I was curious just in general how this team was going to look because of the number of new faces that were there. And it's only been a couple years since Tokyo, but it feels like there's been a fair bit of turnover. And then even some of the guys that are going to play a more significant role in this tournament, like a Josh Green, for example, it, it just feels like there's been a big turnover. And they hadn't really played together for the, the national team, the men's team. So uh, I expected that there was going to be uh, maybe some growing pains, some teething pains through these games. And I think we saw that a little bit. I think we established that this team is going to be defensively very, very strong. And, and maybe offensively, there's going to be some questions throughout. Yeah, and I, I think we saw that. Look at the games, not a huge barometer in Melbourne of, of what we're going to expect. Yep. I mean, no disrespect to Venezuela. I was at that game live and that was <laughs> an absolute shit show. We, we didn't get much out of that. And then, you know, you, you go up 40 and then there's a bit of argy-bargy going on. That, you know, Venezuela got frustrated and thought that we were kind of rubbing their noses in it. So, you know, the only thing that usually comes out of those games is an injury. And, you know, we saw that with, with, with uh, you know, CG43, um, Chris knee on knee. He's out of the game early. So you got an injury there. Um, we move on to, to, to Brazil in the next game. Um, that was a, a great test for us, and I think we we kind of got punched in the face a little bit, and we needed that. I think we you rather have – you know, a lot of people panicked on social media and, oh, my God, what's going on? Not great lead-up games in Melbourne, in my opinion, all three of them. I don't think we were we were great. We were great in little stretches, and I think Gorge has still got that Rubik's Cube out, um, coach of, of the Boomers, of course, trying to figure out different lineups and whatnot, but – the problem is when you play a lower tier opponent, that's no disrespect to Venezuela, even even South Sudan to an extent is um, games can get a little wild because you're up by so much, other teams getting frustrated, hard fouls, cheap shots. Not that any of those teams did that, but then we we come out of that those games with a net loss of injuries. And the big one, you know, is, is Jock Landau. I mean, he, he, had, he had an injury coming into that tournament. He sprained his foot at camp, um, which at the time there were some concerns that he would miss. Um, it was a, It was a pretty bad sprain. And diagnosis was anywhere from a cup, you know, one to two weeks, maybe up to four. And he bounced back very, very quickly from that and, and recovered quickly being a young fella. But then he comes out and, and absolutely turns his ankle um, with, with essentially a grade three sprain, which he'll be out for, you know, anywhere up to four to four to six, seven, eight weeks potentially. And he's got time for training camp. But my point is these games, sometimes you look at 
what Team USA does. They try to stay with high-end competition just because it's a closer game. It's a bigger test. And that's no disrespect. I'm not disrespecting the nations, but injuries can play their part in these games that don't really mean much. Yeah, USA, for example, uh, Germany, Canada, a couple of high-level uh, warm-up games that they've had uh, throughout to this point. But it's interesting. And I've had a few people ask me about how many games is the right amount. And you're the perfect person to ask this. So five warm-up games after having a, a camp which was decent for a major tournament. Sometimes, you know this, you guys don't have this type of time to get together, spend time together, actually play five-on-five five against the opposition. So the question is, for you, do you think that the five games is too many or is it just more, as you're pointing to, the opponents that can be the difference? So maybe three games, but if you're playing a higher-level opponents, maybe that makes more sense leading into a tournament like this. Yeah, I think it is. I think you'll probably see a change in the future. Um, I know historically we were kind of middle tier to maybe a top eight team. We wanted to play more games and and, and have that edge of playing more games together. But I think this group especially has been together now long enough. I I know they've added some new faces, but for Paris it'll kind of be the same thing where I think you're probably better off playing three solid teams, you know, France, even a Georgia is going to be solid and then maybe one more. Um, the problem is, you know, it's, it's, it's a push or pull thing. You want to have games on your home soil, the tournaments on this side of the world. It's great for Australian basketball fans to see in the flesh, these NBA stars that are playing over there that we don't get to see unless you, you know, you're spending a shitload of money with your family to go to the U S and watch the NBA games. So I get it, but it is hard. I would, I would tend to stay away from the, the lower tier teams, no disrespect, but just because I think the net the net gain out of those, a 50-point game, like you're not really getting – you're better off, honestly, having another a five-on-five five Australia A versus Australia game than, than playing in, in what that Venezuela game ended up being. I think you, the, the, there was no real gain out of that. You can't get a feel for, you know, are we running good things or are they just bad? I think it was the latter. Um, so I think the right number, to answer your question, I think would be three to four. Um, and I would just go on flight. The problem is it's hard to get really good competition to Australia pre these tournaments, even though it's on this side of the world. We, we just couldn't – the best team was Brazil, essentially. We're not going to get the US, the Canada, the even China's not going to really come here, um, those kind of teams. Not saying China's good, but China's, you know, a big draw card for a lot of a lot of money and fans. So I think three is the right number, um, and I would just focus on that, on that camp. And I think the, the Cairns camp for them was very, very good, very intense from what I heard, but – you know, there was there was guys getting their legs back, guys that take some time off, and we've got an older aging group, and then we've got a younger, you know, full of energy group. So it's kind of like two sides of the coin with this boomers group, and the kind of that's what I'm most excited about is seeing. You know, I don't know how you feel about it, but seeing the old the old dog of Patty and and Joey and and these kind of guys mixed in with this youth, and how that all fits in. Well, particularly, and we'd, I know we're going to talk about the offense, but Patty and Josh Giddy figuring it out together. And uh, obviously, uh, Patty's been off to a little bit of a slow start through these warm-up games, but it's going to be a little bit of a different role for him. He's always been a guy that can play off the ball. We've seen that throughout his NBA career. But now you genuinely have Josh Giddy, uh, a star on the rise in the NBA, a high-usage player, a guy that is used to having the ball in his hands. Now, he plays alongside Shea Gilgis-Alexander, so he has learnt over his first two seasons to play alongside another guy that can be a primetime scorer. But I think it's going to be interesting. And that's maybe why some of those games uh, made sense for those guys to play together. But Gideon Mills in the backcourt is a different look. And as you pointed to, we are only 12 months away from the Olympics. So this tournament, they have high expectations and there is an expectation externally that they can follow on and win another medal. But 
it's also going to be leading into that tournament next year. And they'll be better for this tournament, no doubt. But uh, I am curious to see the Gideon Mills connection. And then uh, this second unit, when you have someone like Dyson Daniels who wasn't there in the last tournament, and he's a guy that likes to have the ball in his hands a little bit. So I think that there are significant question marks. You, you would know that the training camp uh, would have been competitive. There were plenty of spots on the line. And I think we've seen some of the those teething problems through these warm-up games. There's been plenty of turnovers. And that was probably the one thing from that Venezuela game where they actually had 19 turnovers, even though they won by 50-plus points in that game. And I don't think that that put them in a great spot to compete against a team that was more legit in Brazil in the next game. And that's why I don't think it was any reason to panic. I also don't think it was a huge surprise that they didn't look great in that game because I don't think they got much out of the game against Venezuela. Yeah, I agree. And look, you don't want to be 5-0 and in friendlies and then, you know, you don't really know where you're at. I feel like, you know, if you want to lay some eggs, you lay them. Even, even early in a tournament, sometimes you can get away with having a bad game. Um, but you you hit exactly what I want to touch on. The Gideon Mills thing, I've noticed they're both high-usage guys. Now, people – I tweeted about this a couple of days ago. People were like, oh, you know, Paddy, Paddy's not you know not so much a creator. But for the boomers, he is. Um, it, it does not mean he's getting 10 assists. By creation, I mean his movement. He's, you know, he's getting blitzed on a pick and roll. He gets someone a swing, swing, open shot. And now you've got Gideon that mix. It hasn't really fit as well as I thought um, and as well as people would have liked. And, and and that's no disrespect to those two guys. They're both heavy usage guys. So now all of a sudden, Paddy's role for the Boomers for the last eight years has been we're getting you the ball and, and we're living and dying with you shooting. If you shoot 30 field goals and make 15, we're living and dying by it. Like you, we want you to mass shoot on this team. And we needed him to do that, especially at certain um, lapses in games where we couldn't score. Paddy, go get us a bucket, right? Now you've got Giddy who, you know, his strengths aren't off the ball. He doesn't have that three ball consistently at a, at a place where he can, you know, feet set, knock down and, and create space for, for teammates. Streaky there, but he needs it in his hands. So, and I've noticed the last game or two since I posted about it where I thought, you know, I think the, the answer to that was, is, is for Gorge to say, okay, one of you guys is going to come out in the first five or six minutes. So five, six minute mark in the first quarter, we're going to pull one of you guys and then you're going to come back in for the other guy. And, and, like I haven't spoke to any of these people about it. I'm not going to take credit for it, but that's what they've done the last two games after I posted because it just makes more sense. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a number one guy every time on the floor. It's not kind of questionable. You've obviously got Joe Ingles now. Looks like he's going to come off the bench. That's another guy that can handle and create for you. Um, you mentioned Dyson Daniels. So that's going to be the question. And, and look, we're not panicking about Paddy's shooting slump, but it's there. He's 12 for 51 from the field in, in these four games. And he's six for 24 from three, that's 17%. So you want him, they played today at time of recording. We're about six hours, seven hours away from the, the Georgia game. You just want him to make a couple early, get his eye in, and then I would almost ice him. If he makes his first couple, um, has a good first half, I wouldn't play him a lot in the second half. And I'd rest guys up for that that that, that big game coming up at the end of the week. But he needs to he does need to find his legs because you know, Paddy's the type of player for this team that can shoot us into a game. He can also shoot us out of a game if he has a slump like this. I hope it doesn't continue, but we need to try to get him going early with some easy looks. And following the games, these aren't – Paddy's shots, they're not They're not even looking like they're going in at times. And that's what we haven't seen from him, you know. So I would love for them to get him a feet set wide open, uh, you know, corner three or top of key three rather than him trying to force his way into getting that rhythm back. I'd love for them to search him out early and just get him going. If you go back to Tokyo 
And uh, I know you already referenced, you said, well, he's not necessarily known as a guy that's going to rack up a higher number of assists. And you're absolutely right. But what he did in Tokyo, we've seen this over the years for the Boomers, but he was getting up 20 shots a night, but he was still, uh, he averaged 6.3 assists per game through that tournament, through those six games, which is a very high number for him, like across his NBA career. And obviously, yeah, yeah, exactly right. And so he's at around just over two for his NBA career. So he was doing everything for this team. So not only is he coming off an NBA season, which was abnormal for him in terms of the lack of games that he played, he he played around uh, half the games for the season, which is his lowest amount since 2012. So he comes in and maybe there is a little bit of rust there playing game time. And now he's in an unfamiliar role where normally he walks into this Boomers team and he knows that he's going to have the ball. He's going to play 34, 35 minutes per game. And now you've got uh, Giddy in here who... If he's on the floor, he hasn't quite perfected his off-ball game yet either and his catch-and-shoot shooting, which he's discussed uh, a lot. So I think that there's a balance there to be made. But then if you have Paddy Mills and Josh Giddy, and it, it makes perfect sense to stagger him in the first quarter, and this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but then it does ask questions in a close game fourth quarter can they can they play together and they'll have to figure it out throughout the tournament but then it brings up questions about closing lineups and fourth quarter stuff as well when you've got through the first half and you figured out your rotation and these guys can take turns but ultimately if the boomers want to win a medal and they want to be in those final four teams those two guys have to be on the floor together and and functioning with the offense yeah i agree with that and i think we'll look to Paddy's probably going to look back to, to Lamanus era where he was deadly off the ball for us. Um, obviously, we had a bit more of a movement-based offense because we had myself and Bainsey and guys that could pass. Jock was that guy as well at the five. Reith probably not so much a, a strength of his of playing through the big for passes. I think late in those games where Paddy can do damage if Giddy's on the floor, Giddy's playing out of the pick and roll and Paddy moving off the ball, just, just being a nuisance you know, setting screens, um, getting screened, you know, guys aren't going to help off him, even though he's six for 24 right now, Kane, no one, you're still not going to be like, all right, Paddy, we'll give you a wide open feet set three. So I think that's more for him to figure out. Other teams aren't going to scout him differently. So all the listeners out there, you're not going to look at that and say, oh, we're going to dare him to make a couple. You don't want him to get his eye in against you, right? Because that could be a six for seven night. So I agree with that. I think they definitely will go late with those guys. Um, it's just a matter of how it all fits in with the other guys. But but moving on from that, I mean, they have, you know, the small ball is going to rear its head. I'm, I'm, I think in FIBA, it's a little bit different to the NBA. I don't think you can small ball it for 30 plus minutes, in my opinion. I think it's it's a 15 to 20 minute burst. And that's what was successful for us in, in Tokyo. I think you're going to, you know, you're leaning towards a 30 minute small ball game. But by what I mean by that, listeners, is you got... You know, Xavier Cooks or, or, or Jack White at the five with Matisse, Green, you know, Dante, Giddy, Paddy, Joey. you got a small ball lineup. You're flirting with danger there, um, especially from, from a rebounding point of view. A lot of these Euro teams will, will, will grab, hold, slow down games to their tempo. It's going to be a push-pull thing. So I'm going to be – I'm interested to see how much Gord goes to that. There's there's obviously the the talk about, you know, we don't have another big other than Reith, really a, a traditional five. What do they do there? And Reith's been fantastic, by the way. He's been really, really good – in the lead-up games, I think he's been really solid. He, he looks like he's improved in just catching the ball in the roll position, going straight up strong. He's finished a lot of those, and he's and he's knocking that three down enough to have to respect it. So, how do you see? What do you think about the small ball group? Do you think, and minutes-wise, how much do you think they'll go to that? Well, I don't think that they're going to have too much of a choice now that they've only got the one seven-footer. I think you'll probably see 
a fair amount of Nick K in a nominal five position and whatever, the four and the five might be interchangeable. But again, if you look at the minutes for what they did uh, in Tokyo, when they did have Jock Lando on the floor, it was actually a little bit of a surprise to me going back and looking at some of these games and then looking at the stats that Jock only played 21 minutes per game. And when I, when I think back in my head about the impact he had for this team and He's been the guy for the last few months when I've done a number of different, whether it's podcast shows, whatever, where people have asked who is the most important boomer. And you could have a number of different answers. But for me, it was Jock Landau because of how important he was really stepping into that role and becoming the guy at the five uh, in that Olympic campaign. And then we know he's gone from strength to strength. So Dwight Reith was always going to be a lock to be in the squad because I think he needed that insurance. But that's the concern for me. Uh, Reith played three minutes per game in that tournament. Clearly, he's developed since then. But when you talk about the physicality of some of these teams they're going to play and the the seven-footers that some of these teams have, two early fouls for Dwight Reith, that's a legitimate concern. And not to mention, and knock on wood, any, any type of health stuff because not having another seven-footer there Nick Kay has been an elite rebounder for this team, particularly on the offensive glass, which could be important for this offense as they look for second chances and and different ways to score. But uh, I think Reith is probably going to have to play 25, 26 minutes per game. And then you're looking at, uh, are you able to play that 10, 15 and still stand up on the glass defensively? I think you'll, you'll trust these guys, but uh, that's going to be the question. Can you get 25 effective minutes from Dwight Reith and then survive the other 15? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. And look, Germany, Finland, both in our pools, both with, you know, Thijs and, and, and the Wagner brothers. I mean, one of them is a, more of a perimeter guy. Yeah. Markkinen with Finland, they're, they're the kind of teams that create a bit of problem matchups for us just because Matisse generally will guard their best scoring forward. But do you put him on a on, a, on the four Wagner or a Markkinen being, you know, seven foot tall? That's, that's a tough one. They went to the X at five against Rudy and it actually, it actually went – pretty well um i just think that if you do that as a, if you do that steady diet of that it's eventually going to bite you an offensive rebound or something like that where i think in little 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 smacks it's really good but man the defensive group that they can have out there um you know you've got daniels or giddy at the one let's say dante green matisse at the four at the four and then you got x and white i mean that defensive group to me is one of the most elite defensive groups you've got in FIBA basketball right now. Now, offensively, it might pose different problems. Uh, might be a struggle sometimes to score, but with the way Matisse has shot the three ball, I've been very impressed with him. Uh, very automatic, not thinking about it. Shot it really well in the lead-up games. Green's had a great uh, past NBA season from three. Dante's gotten better um, as far as getting his head down and, and, and taking what the defense gives him. Obviously, Giddy Daniel's not great from three and Giddy streaky, but that's – that's a defensive group that all of a sudden you can pick up three-quarter court and just cause absolute anarchy where you don't need a great offense. Your offense is, we're going to turn you over. We're going to get deflections and make your your offense clunky and then try to run it back at you. So I'm, I'm also looking forward to that. And Gorgeous sneakily got to this lineup a few times with X or White, even X and White together at the 4-5 with Matisse at the 3. I mean, that's just, that 3-4-5 defensively is, is, is world-class in my opinion. It feels like this is the biggest difference for this team. And this is me watching from the couch and from the outside, but certainly even at uh, the last uh, Olympics again, we'll keep referencing that. When they played Team USA and they're up by double digits 
in the second quarter and things were going great. It felt that ultimately they were kind of overwhelmed and things started to go against them. You lose momentum and clearly when you're playing a team as talented as that Team USA team was, that can happen. But I think the biggest difference when I look at the development and the continued growth of the young guys that you mentioned defensively, and then it's, it almost feels like a bonus, adding in Xavier Cooks, who's healthy now, and then Jack White uh, coming back from the Achilles as well, that you now all of a sudden feel like you've got a handful of NBA-level, high-caliber athletic defenders that can defend multiple positions. Whereas at the last tournament, it was like, okay, Matisse is the guy. Dante, I thought, was unbelievable with some of the matchups he was asked to take in that tournament. So now it just feels like they have lineups where you look at it and say, okay, this is world-class. This is legitimate guys that Matisse already is, an all-NBA defensive player, but but multiple guys that can be there. I think offensively, it's a, it's a good point you make. With Thibault, it's fascinating because he shot the ball well, super uh, small sample size with the Boomers last time out, but uh, with Portland, and, and I'm curious to see what it looks like for him moving forward after being in Philly, he really didn't touch the ball. If he got it in transition, yeah, he might get some points there, but he wasn't shooting the three at all. He actually shot 38% on four attempts per game. It was only 22 games, folks, so not a, not a huge sample size there, but he has shown signs that he can be a decent catch-and-shoot guy. And when you talk about players that the defensive team might leave a little bit of space, it still feels like Dybul might be one of those guys. Josh Green had a whole NBA season of shooting the ball over 40%, so he might attract a little bit more attention. But for the most part, I feel like those guys that you reference are going to get good looks. And I think at least to start games, the opposition are going to dare them to shoot. So uh, defensively, this team is going to be carried on that end of the floor. That is absolutely their, their blue print to winning games, but having some breakout performances like the 5-for-6 three-point shooting night the other night from Dybul, that's how this team is going to get enough points to, to really separate. Yeah, and to me, it doesn't even need to be that extreme. I think if Matisse knocks one down early, that that's enough. If, if he's one for one, one for two early in the game, same as Green, all of a sudden, Giddy's going downhill. Mm-hmm. Paddy's getting open. Uh, Joey's getting wide open threes because of a swing-swing, and I think that's a really important balance that they have to have. And I mean, the, the whole... You know, Matisse, obviously a, a new lease of life um, going from Philly yeah. to Portland. That's a whole other separate issue. I, we, you know, on, on the podcast during the NBA season, we're like, how is he not playing? Like, how is he's one of the best defenders in the league. You see what he did last game against France. I think he did he have six steals, five steals, a couple of blocks. Like, he just flies around and he's getting deflections on stuff that no one should get. And he, he did that with the Boomers in, in, in Tokyo. That's why I love him out there. And if he's knocking that three, all of a sudden you can't dare him, you can't play off him. And then he's just, he's an elite level defender at the other end. Where do you go? Look, a concern for me is, you know, Giddy's not feeling it from three, not getting in the paint as much. Paddy's having a bad shooting night. Where are we going? How are we, how are we creating looks um, beyond those two guys? Well, again, this is why when we look at the starting lineup and I totally expect and I understand why they probably will go with Dwight Reith and Nick Kay at the 4-5 to start the tournament. I kind of feel like, and we saw it change a little bit uh, last tournament, I don't think Gorgian's going to be a guy that's going to be afraid to to make a change, but I still just think Joe Ingles is the wild card in terms of offensive creation. Again, another guy that the opposition isn't going to want to leave open, but then, as we've seen for the last decade, if you want to get up in Joe Ingles' face or you, you want to uh, try and go under the screen, he's going to shoot the three. You want to go over the screen, he's going to get wherever the hell he wants, and he can finish at the rim or he can find uh, a big man as well. I thought it was pretty underrated how good he was offensively for Milwaukee last 
last year coming off um, the ACL. It was a weird sort of season for the Bucs, so I don't think it got a lot of credit. But what he did specifically for Brook Lopez was unbelievable in terms of how he was able to explode offensively. And I think he can do the same um, for Dewalt Breath in, in this tournament as well. So they, I, I don't look at this squad and see a huge amount of options to see guys that are going to get you 20 points potentially on a night if it's not Paddy Mills, if he's not knocking down those shots. But uh, Joe Ingles is the guy that could come into the starting lineup if you're really searching um, for offense. He, he is the obvious guy to me. And it is going to be a little bit weird for him coming off the bench for the Boomers. We just haven't seen uh, a lot of that, but he's done it a lot in the NBA over the last few years. But he's absolutely the wild card for me. And I'm curious to see how Gorge uses him throughout the tournament, particularly if they are going through dry spells. Yeah. And look, he didn't have a great uh, lead up. And, and I wouldn't say he was bad, um, but he just, not a lot of touches, not a lot of usage because you got Giddy running running the pick and roll to death and and, and and finding guys wide open. No one's leaving Joey. And then you had Patty, you know, next in line, taking a lot, you know, some some good shots, some bad shots, where Joey's kind of been that forgotten about guy. And I think your point is is exactly it. You can almost move, if Giddy's on the bench, you can move Patty off the ball. Joey's a lead out of the pick and roll. And people forget that. Look, he's slow, he's not flashy, he's not athletic, but because he shoots the ball so well, it puts the pick and roll defenders in a predicament of like, okay, I got to go over this guy no matter what. Now I've got a hard roller in wreath. I've got, you know, Nick Kay who's shooting the ball real well from three replacing. What? How do we pick our poison there? I think they got to look to get Joe more than they have in, in these last, you know, four games that I've seen. He needs to be handling a little bit more in the pick and roll and creating for this team for them to be successful, just to give them a, a, a balance. You know, you don't want to be so one-dimensional of giddy pick and roll, giddy pick and roll, Paddy quick shot, Paddy pinned down. Like, I think it's a good little mix up. One other guy I had circled and he hasn't played much is CG43. I think that, <laughs> yeah. look, he's not going to be a big minute player for this team, but I'm a gambling man. I'm willing to say there's, there's going to be one game, maybe two this tournament, that he can have a huge effect on. Um, it's not going to be on a consistent basis, it's not going to be every night. But, you know, you look back to, to the World Cup when I was still playing in 19. Um, who do we play? Was that uh, was it Finland or Iceland or something land? Um, but we, you know, he came off the bench and was like bam, 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 and broke the game open. They were in a zone. We threw him in there. You know, he was three for four from three quickly. I expect that role from him. Look, he's been hurt. I, I believe he's. Some people are questioning whether he's in the rotation still. I believe he's still in the rotation. I, I think he's in. He's in that rotation, but he's, he's. They're really kind of babying him, making sure that he's healthy for the tournament. His 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 knee on knee was pretty bad, from what I heard. You know, a little bit of swelling and bruised up. But I think he's another guy. Um, like I'm not going to extremes, people. So don't panic. <laughs> it's not going to be every game, but he's going to have one or two games where he can have his fingerprints on that game where they, you know, Patty's. You know, two for 10, Giddy's struggling a little bit. We've gone to Joey a bit, and then you just throw CG out there, and maybe he pops two or three threes and just kind of flattens out that defense again for us to get into the into the paint. Yeah, I've been pretty strong. It's it's a good call. I, sh I should have mentioned Chris Golden. I've been pretty strong on, on him needing to be in this squad for that reason. And it was challenging when everyone's healthy and you were looking at the 14 guys or 15 guys, uh, whatever the number was, that was left. Because at that point, you were just looking at the numbers and saying, okay, well, an NBA guy's going to miss out. And, and was it going to be Jack White? Uh, yeah, probably. But then Jock Landau gets hurt. And and I think that was just the challenge because we just haven't been in this position before where you're picking and choosing between different guys and NBA guys. Um, but the three-point shooting is clearly a point of difference um, for this team. I was at the scrimmage 
uh, a few weeks ago when a number of the Boomers guys were there and, and CG was playing on the Melbourne United squad and he was just knocking down shots left, right. And he just looks so comfortable, as we've seen over the years, playing with guys of that quality. A, a question for you, because when I've done different things where I've said, oh, look, CG needs to be in the squad for this reason, the, the obvious pushback is the defense. And I sort of look at it and I say, I get it. I understand what you're saying, but we've already gone through the defensive talent on this team. And whether it is a lineup that has Dewalt Breath at the five or whether you are going smaller, I just, I don't think it's that big of a deal because you've got so many guys around him that he's not going to be in a situation where he's playing on the first or the second best offensive player on the perimeter anyway. So to me, again, it's not like he's going to be playing 25 minutes a night, but I don't have any concerns about that. Well, you know what's funny? He, he, look, um, you know, my relationship with United is not great. <laughs> CG and I have gotten into it numerous times uh, when I was playing for the Sydney Kings. His defense with the national team is very solid, in my opinion, right? I think that he, when he first cracked the rotation in 16 in Rio, he knew that, like, I can't just, I'm not going to be the number one usage guy even when I'm on the court because we had Patty, myself, Joey, Bainsey. So he knew I got to do something different. I need to, I need to somehow earn my minutes. He was picking up full court and I was like, you know, who is this guy? You yeah. know, he was p- picking up, trying to turn guys, took, a f- you know, uh, charges. Some people say flops, but he's, he's working his guy. <laughs> He's not, he's not the Melbourne United CG43 where he's playing 35 and has to preserve his body, where he's taking possessions off on the defensive end. He has to do that because he's their number one scoring option with Melbourne United. With the Boomers, I think he's been pretty good defensively. I think people knocking can't notice the nuance. If you watch that, if you watch our games from the last two or three campaigns, I think he's been above average by far. I don't think he's been, like to your point, where, all right, he's going to hit three threes, but he's horrible at the other end. I don't think it's that at all. And I, I think... You know, if he's healthy, he he knows his burst is going to be a six or seven minute burst, maybe in the first half, maybe a little bit more in the second, and that's kind of the cap of his minutes. He maybe gets to eighteen if he's on fire. If he doesn't, he he plays twelve, right? He knows that, and he he actually goes out there and plays hard. So I got to give credit to him. I think he's been really good for the national team defensively. And I've, I've I used to joke with him like, man, who is this dude defensively? <laughs> like you're not you're nothing like that in the NBL. So I'm I have really no concerns with that, and I think you know, with the amount of scoring that he can provide. He's a professional scorer. At the end of the day, he's a guy that you can put in, you know, it's one of those games where it's the third quarter and it's 35 to 30. It's a grab and hold game. You just roll a guy out there for a couple of minutes if you're a head coach and you roll the dice and maybe he goes bang, bang, and you've got a you know seven-point lead. Feels like it's 20 in one of those games. Yeah, and I think those, those stretches in games are going to be the difference because, again, I, I have significant faith in the defense to keep this team – uh, in most games. So that's that's good insight, particularly uh, because some people might uh, obviously be familiar with CJ43 uh, from the NBL. I-, I wanted to ask you something before I forget, because I, I don't want to go off it, because we were talking about Joe, and uh, I asked uh, Dyson Daniels and Xavier Cooks this from the training camp, but you're clearly more qualified to answer this from all the time you've spent with Joe and played on him. Uh, still at this point, at his age, and what he's able to do in the pick and roll, certainly, as you referenced. Um, what is it like as the big man with him? Because it's still so fascinating to me, and it's highly entertaining. I love watching him play. How confused he still can have the defense, even though everyone has watched him play for years. They all know he's a lefty. They know he plays at his own pace. But what is it like as the big man with him? Because it's still so damn effective. Yeah, great lob passer, great out of the pick and roll as far as given that. I mean, with when Favors was with Utah, I mean, he, he earned Favors yes, a lot of money yes. just from that little <laughs> that little drop pass to hit that little free throw line jumper. He just the, 
the game comes to him at his speed. He's one of those guys like you. People try to speed him up, and people try to you know get up in him, and then they try to all right, we'll, we'll be physical. Like he doesn't care. He's just going to slowly get to his spot, methodical. I'm going to either you know I mean he even gets to the rim, and, and you look at him. Go to a draft combine. Look at a Joe Engels run draft combine. He'd, he'd be bottom tier on almost everything, right? Like vertical, the, the the twenty yard, the twenty meter sprint, you know, all that stuff. But he gets by guys because he shoots the ball so well, and he's got a high basketball IQ. So that's why I, I would love to see him in, a bit more involved in the offense, a bit more involved in some pick and rolls. I think getting him going early, having a confident Joe Ingles out there, makes a huge difference from this team, and it takes pressure off. Gideon and Patty and some of these guys. So I, I really enjoy playing with him. And we had, we had a lot of similar guys like that. You know, you look at high IQ, make the right play. At least when, when Dally was still involved, myself and and Joey. And, 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 you know, you look at that list of guys that just made the right play. Even Jock has, 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 has gone into that form of, of making the right play, quick read, pass, high IQ, you know. So it was a really fun way for us to play and it still is and it's fun to watch. But, yeah, I think Joey's – I think he's going to be the one that's going to have to really step up considering what we're seeing are obviously small sample size of Patty shooting, but he's going to be that third wheel. I think that has to come out and provide some good minutes. But on top of that, just real quick, Green hurt. Um, they're saying he will be ready, um, whatever that means. Who knows? But you, we are kind of limping in. You know, we are limping in a little bit. I mean, our core guys are okay, but Patty's Patty's starting to look a bit older. Um, we do have an older squad. And we're carrying some injuries. So that is a little bit of concern for me. I mean, um, not a huge, huge concern, but there is, you know, you losing your best big man. Green's kind of banged up. Even if he's at 80% all of a sudden, I'm not worried about game one, two, three. The way these tournaments work is it's that it's that long haul, game five plus travel, then game six, then we're going to a quarterfinals in a different city, you know. That's where I'm worried. So I think we gotta come out. I anticipate, which we'll get to in a second, that that we might have some growing pains early in this group. I, I think, you know, Germany's, to me, going to be a really tough matchup, and I've actually got them potentially knocking us off. But having us recover from that, um, if that makes sense, even though we'll probably end up two in that group if we drop that, I just think Germany's playing really well. I've caught a few of their games, and they look really well. Let's get into that. I mean, our group, Australia, Germany, Finland, Japan – um, look, I want Australia to win every game. This isn't a point of hating, but I just think early with our form not being great, I think that Germany game is going to be a tough one for them. I, I don't know what your feelings are there. I think Finland has a chance to be a tougher game. I think we'll beat them because they've got one guy that can just go, but I think we'll, we'll have a bit of a matchup problem with Markinen because I'm like, okay, you put Reith on him, all of a sudden he's off the dribble. T's probably just a little bit small for him if they if they try to put him closer to the basket. So that'll be a tough one to, ask to figure out. I think we'll see some double teams in that game. But Germany's the one that I'm looking at. Like I think that's a, a super, super tough, consistent team right now. Yeah, I think when I've sort of listened to some people talk about the group and clearly Australia, depending on where you look at, the, for the most part, they're the favorites to get out of this group. But I just wouldn't be looking too closely at the Germany or thinking about the Germany that we saw at the Olympics as well, because it's just not the same team. And Dennis Schroeder is on absolute fire right now in the warm-up games. And he is, if you've just seen him in the NBA where he's come off the bench, he's been a little bit erratic the last few years and he didn't take that massive contract that he should have taken. He, he has uh, elevated at Eurobasket last year for Germany where this team 
went on an extended run and they they played some really good basketball. And now in these warm-up games, he's taken it to Canada uh, and and a couple of other the strong nations that they've played. So Schroeder is a player to watch. Franz uh, Wagner wasn't around then in terms of uh, just coming into the NBA and he's already proven himself probably going to be a future All-Star. And even someone like Daniel Tice is just a, is a solid FIBA center. And he's, he, he was... Uh, scored he was one of their leading scorers last year at Eurobasket so if you haven't caught up with what they've done in the warm-up games or in Eurobasket last year this is a team that is is going to be a real challenge for this team and as you pointed to Australia can probably afford to lose that game but then it does put significant importance on Friday night and opening this tournament with a team that does have a superstar and we've seen it time and time again in FIBA with some of these nations and Slovenia with Luka Doncic and, and Giannis isn't there for Greece, but they, w- they were doing that through Eurobasket as well. Markkinen averaged 28 points per game. Giannis was the only player who averaged more than him. So he is legitimately uh, turned into an all-star caliber player in the NBA. I don't know what shape he's going to be in though, folks, after doing his military training or whatever he's been doing the last <laughs> few months. But yeah. it is yep. it is genuinely a, a kind of a scary first game, particularly if you are like me and you have some fear about this German team. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you definitely can't sleep on that and look forward, and it is our opening game. Um, but yeah, Germany, I mean, even even you got Isaac Bongo, who's a solid mm-hmm. defender for him. Both Wagner brothers. Um, I think uh, Ops was pretty solid for him previously. Voitman's not bad. So they got, you know, they got a, Vice is a solid veteran for him. So they'll, they'll be tough, and they're not going to beat themselves. And that's the thing. If, if we have a high turnover game, a la Venezuela, a la some of these, 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 these runs that we go on against a solid Euro team that has European European players that are drilled to be solid, you know, a lot of times those eight-point leads feel like they're 20. So you got to be real careful, especially early, you know, that you don't want to rely on your defense too much to generate stuff. And Finland, the same, you know, they've got basically, it's it seems like it's marketing with a bunch of shooters, right? And that's how you should stack that team. A lot of those guys are unknown. I don't know a lot about, look, be honest, I don't know a lot about their roster. I'm looking at it right now and I'm like, don't know who you are, don't know who you are. And that that can be a positive and a negative, right? Like sometimes you don't know all right, who exactly is the shooter, where are we getting stats from, who, where are we getting scouting from, is this correct, you know, blah, 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 blah. So they've got to figure that out. Japan, obviously, we're both not too concerned about them. Uh, Hachimura out of that out of that squad as well um, does not help things for them. They'll, they'll be they'll be kind of a quick team with a, with a lot of three-point shooting, but I, I don't anticipate them causing us any issues. But, yeah, that, that group will be interesting. So I will pick out of that group. We'll start with that one. I've got, I've got Germany and Australia going through. What about yourself? Yeah, same here. I think that's, that makes the most sense. It would be, it would be despite we talk about the, the potential concerns, it would be a shock if, if there are, uh, Finland were able to, to sneak through in front of either of those teams. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, let's go to Group A. Um, this one is Angola, Dominican Republic, Philippines, and Italy. I'll go first on this one. Um, I'm going to go Italy and Dominican Republic. Towns is balling. I don't know if you saw a few of those games from a couple of days ago. He's pulling up with Steph Curry range. He did say, when I retire, I will have changed the game. Maybe he's right now. You know, we laughed at those <laughs> comments back then. I, I'm sure you did. We all collectively laughed. Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you're a fantastic player. But there's only one or two a generation that can say that. But anyway, he's, he's playing really well. So I, I have uh, Italy and, and, and the Dominican Republic coming out of that group. What about yourself? Yeah, me too. And this is the, the favorable side uh, of the draw, really, as we'll, we'll continue to go through it. But yeah, Dominican Republic, they beat Canada a couple of days ago, which is a nice uh, win in a warm-up game. And 
uh, Italy were, were, again, pretty good in that Eurobasket. Uh, Simone Fontecchio actually found his way to the NBA with Utah after that tournament. He shot 45% from three. Uh, in the Eurobasket as well. So they were they were handy. They reached the quarterfinals there, but I think certainly the draw looks like it's done us some favours in this first group. I think Italy and, and the DR are the, the obvious choices. Agree. All right, Group B, um, that group is South Sudan, Serbia, China, Puerto Rico. I'll let you start on this one. Yeah, I, and to be fair, I've had some spoilers here of, of the teams that you're going through, so I'm glad that you let me go first so it doesn't look too bad here. But look, I think Serbia... Uh, will be the favourites here, even without uh, Nikola Jokic in the lineup. Uh, a lot of these guys have played for Serbia for a number of years, but I, I think the other team, and I'm actually just really looking forward to watching them play, is South Sudan. They were pretty dominant in the African qualifiers. They were 11-1. and one. They shot the ball really well from three. And I think for Australian fans, it's going to be a fun team to follow throughout the tournament. Hopefully they can get through. It's their first ever uh, FIBA World Cup as well. So... I think the games with China and Puerto Rico will be absolutely worth watching because I think the second team coming through could really be any of those three, but South Sudan have been playing really well through the qualifiers. Yeah, I'm going Serbia, uh, obviously very well coached. I still got a bit of talent in that team. Um, obviously, Jokic out, got a few other misses, but uh, Bogdanovic still there, uh, Jovic from Miami, and then they just got a bunch of really good role players that playing EuroLeague basketball. So I think they'll be they'll be the clear one. I've got South Sudan as two. Um, and hopefully, you know, with our affiliation here in Australia, with a lot of migrants coming from South Sudan, there's, I've got a soft spot in my heart for them and I want them to do really well. I think they, you know, um, Royal Ivy's coaching there, I believe, and uh, former, former teammate of mine, I believe. So uh, with, with the Milwaukee Bucks for a season, lo- lovely guy, uh, passionate, knows the game, high basketball IQ, got them playing hard. And they're just athletic. I think at times they... You know, the Boomers game, they got a little bit out of control, a little bit ahead of themselves on some of the stuff they were trying to do, a high turnover game. But um, I think they've got every every chance to go through with the tools and the length and the athleticism that they have. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they go there. All right, moving on from that pool, we go to Group C, the, the, the United States, Jordan, Greece, and New Zealand. Uh, obviously, the US number one, pretty easy group in my opinion. Greece, no Giannis. Um, Jordan and New Zealand our, our neighbors here but I still got to go just based on names you got to go Greece number two but they're not they're not as deep as as they once were uh, but I still think they'll they'll have enough to get through that uh, that group C yep I think that one's pretty straightforward it is a, it is a shame with a number of these players that aren't going to be there because it would have been pretty entertaining to watch Giannis try and drop 40 on on team USA in the group stage but uh, I think those two should be able to handle that. It'll be fun to see, uh, again, some really familiar faces playing for New Zealand, but it could be uh, a couple of rough nights, certainly a rough night against Team USA. Yeah, I agree. I I hope to see New Zealand do well, but uh, I just don't think they're deep enough and and have enough talent to get through uh, the US or Greece. Group D, Egypt, Mexico, Montenegro, Lithuania. Uh, Pretty simple one. Look, I haven't seen a lot of Egypt. I've seen a little bit of Mexico, but I still think Lithuania won. Montenegro with Vucevic, I think, will, will get through that group pretty easily. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Lithuania is interesting, and you obviously have had some some battles against this team uh, over the years, but they've still got the two seven-footers, and they've always had some some pretty handy uh, big men there. But again, by virtue of the draw, it's looking pretty nice for them in, in the group stage, I, I would have to say. 
yeah, really nice, nice run on that group um, on that on that side of things, which we'll get to in a minute. But they've uh, and they're they're very well, much like Serbia. They're not going to beat themselves. They're very well coached generally. A lot of multi talented, multi faceted skill sets with with a bunch of their players. So that'll be good. Group here we've done. All right, Group F, which will be the crossover for uh, for. Australia, hopefully getting through. Group F, Slovenia, Cape Verde, Georgia, and Venezuela. What do you got? Uh, I have uh, in this group, uh, Slovenia will get through. And then I, I think, you know, and it's going to be interesting because we'll get a look at Georgia or if we can uh, somehow find some footage of this uh, game that doesn't seem to have any type of telecast. We'll see a little bit uh, of Georgia. And I, I think Georgia are, are going to be pretty competitive. I think those team, two teams will probably move through. They have got a couple of familiar names for NBA, fran, uh, NBA fans with Mamu Kalashvili and Gogo Bataze as well that have, that have played over the last few years. So I think Georgia will probably make it through. And obviously... Yeah, look, Luka Doncic is, is probably going to put up some big numbers, it's fair to say. Yeah, and Georgia McFadden as well, an import that can go for them, scoring import, uh, well, not import, Georgia now, we have to say, but uh, that American that's applied his trade over there and got citizenship. Um, I agree, I agree with that. I think that's a pretty clear cut one. Slovenia um, started in with, with Luka Doncic, he's having, had a phenomenal uh, few lead-up games, uh, made some, some crazy highlight plays already and just continues to, to amaze and... You know, he's, it's an easier team to scheme for for us, I believe, just because it's when it's one guy, it's a bit easier, but easier said than done with Luca. I think he looks it looks a lot more motivated coming to this season, um, coming into this NBA season. I think he's using this World Cup to try and bounce off some some confidence and form to someone I thought would be in the MVP uh, running last season. So we'll see how that all goes. And don't forget about Dabble, the social betting experience where you can join a community of people who enjoy a more team, social, and engaging bet. Follow copy bets, jump into the banner channel, go on, download the app, have a dabble, dabble socially, gamble responsibly. Moving on from that one, we go over to Group G, Iran, Spain, Ivory Coast and Brazil. Uh, I've got uh, Spain and Brazil in this one. Iran, Iran will be you know, okay. Um, Ivory Coast, I don't know a whole lot about, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't know a whole lot about, about them and haven't really seen many of their games. They've been hard to, to kind of track with with the way they're going. But um, yeah, I think that's that's the way that, that one's going to go. Yeah, and we saw Brazil last week obviously play uh, well against Australia. We saw a little bit of Iran in, in the qualifiers and they were pretty pesky for a, a couple of those games. Spain, defending champs, they should be the favourites and uh, moving on to a, a pretty challenging second round. Yep, agree with that one. Group H. Uh, you got uh, Canada, Latvia, Lebanon, France. Now, Latvia are obviously losing uh, Porzingis. Um, what would he go down with? Plantar fasciitis? Yeah. 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 Plantar fasciitis pulled out. He was in some of the lead ups and then um, he's out. But but uh, Canada, France, coin flip, I think, for number one in this group. Honestly, I think that'll be a very, very good game to watch. I've got to, got to check when that game is. I, I wonder if it's the first game or second game. But uh, that's a game that I'll, I will definitely try to catch. And I think it's pretty simple that those two teams um, will punch on through Group H. Yeah, I only know this because I was just looking at it a couple of hours ago. So it's the first game. And if, if oh, I had beautiful. to pick who was coming out of this group, and it, it'll be fascinating, but I think Canada is a team that, that might warm into the tournament as well with a bunch of new players. And they've been had some some scratchy results through the, the warm-ups. And uh, I think with a bunch of guys, well, really the first time Canada's had all the, the majority of their NBA players putting their hand up to play. So it might be tough first up against France and you know, the results will, will carry through. So it does matter, but I still think that they're obviously safe getting through the group. Uh, but it might be France for me. If I had to pick, I think France can win that game against Canada and finish on top. 
Yeah, and Canada's roster, Kyle Alexander, Alexander Walker, RJ Barrett, Dylan Brooks, uh, they got Dort, Lou Dort out there, um, Scrub Brothers who played when they toured over here in Australia a couple of years ago, Dwight Powell, the Pan- Pangos, uh, Olenek and Shea, SGA. Um, I think they got a really well-balanced roster of toughness and shooting and skill. Like they got a really good mix. I like that roster. I think they could, you know, I'm not sure about their system and coach and how that all fits together, but I like that they've got a good mix of, of, of rough and tough and talent. I think that that'll work well in FIBA. Now we, we move on to the whole algorithm we're going to go through to figure out how <laughs> things get to the next round. So judging by our picks, I think we agreed on all of them. We don't have any outliers in, in any of those picks. So Group I is formed by Group A and Group B, one and two from each. Now, for those not familiar with how this works, your previous wins carry over. So, if you're two and three and zero in the group in, in that in, in in the first round, that carries over your three and zero in the next pool, right? So, it does matter. Those games do matter. So, you can't. This isn't a tournament where, you know, you've locked up one and you're playing a, an easy beat and you rest your guys, which you could do in the Olympics historically. You can't do that in this tournament. You need you need all the wins. So. Um, if our picks are correct, we have, um, you know, we have, I think I had Serbia, uh, Serbia, Italy, Dominican Republic, and South Sudan as the four forming Group I. Who would you have coming out of those? I I had Serbia and Italy, but I, look, Dominican, and to be fair, I think South Sudan is going to be really tricky throughout. Uh, I think it would be a, a surprise if they made it through to the quarterfinals, but Dominican Republic, again, we've spoke about star power in tournaments like these. And if Cat uh, is having a, a real run and able to take over some games, both of those teams could be a threat. But I still uh, had Italy based on a pretty similar roster, what we've seen uh, over the last couple of years with the national team and Serbia experience. You pointed to, to some of the high-level role players. So Serbia and Italy for me. But I think that that's going to be a pretty entertaining group. Maybe the pick. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think Serbia's getting through. Um, they've got a pretty cruisy run to get through to the quarterfinals. The, the second place is the big one, right? That's the interesting one. I think South Sudan will have gone as far as they can go, and I think that's a if they get to the second round like we've picked, that's a sensational run for where they've come from. Uh, but I've got Italy as well. I think that they'd just be a bit more solid. Um, and I think I just think in FIBA when you've got one star, yes, they can get hot, but it, I think it's just much easier easier to scheme for. And we came across that with Slovenia in that bronze medal game. I think when you've got one guy that you're like, hey, let's scheme for just stopping this guy or, or, or putting, you know, whether we let him get his with no assists, a la Luka Doncic, or whether we stop the scoring, make teammates beat him, whatever the scheme is, it's much easier to do that than you're playing a team like a Serbia that has multiple different weapons. So I would agree with that. All right, group, uh, what is that? Group J will be... Um, group C and Group D. So we have the US, Greece, Lithuania, and Montenegro coming out of that group. How are you looking with those? Yeah, USA and, and Lithuania. I, I didn't have to think about this one too much. And and it is, it's crazy. It's crazy when you look at the USA. And again, it comes down to the draw, but we're going to get to it when we get to the quarterfinals. It is wild to look at one side and, and the other. So even to this point, USA should be able to cruise through uh, pretty easily through the the second uh, round there, and then Lithuania. They're still a top team, top ten team in the world. So I think those two do it pretty easily. Yeah, easily. I don't. I don't think there's much to talk about there. I think that's you know, even though the US is in that portion of the pool, that side, I think that's definitely the easier side of things um, when you look at all that. Group K, which is uh, Group E and Group Group F combined. We both had Germany and Australia coming out of out of Australia's group, and then Slovenia and Georgia. Who's coming out for you? So. 
I've got the boomers and I would need to crunch the numbers here to make sure I'm not doing something that is impossible based on the results because clearly Germany and Australia are going to have to beat each other. But I just really like the Germany team. And to, to some of the point that you've spoken to with Slovenia and we saw it even a little bit again at that Eurobasket tournament, Slovenia won games and he averaged 26, 6 and 6. He had 47 when they beat France. But I think that uh, against a German team that is really deep. They've got excellent shooting, a number of NBA players. I reckon they're a really tricky team. So uh, this might be a little bit of an upset in the first um, rough uh, kind of selection that, that we've made here. But I think Australia and Germany can get through. But again, they, they, would, they would only be allowed to have one of those slip-ups and they'd have to take care of Slovenia in the second round. Yeah, I'm going to go, I don't even know if this works, but I'm a gambling man. I'm going to go Australia and Slovenia because I, yeah. I had Germany beating Australia in the pool before. Yeah. But I have them getting through. That uh, means Slovenia will take care of Germany comfortably. I have Australia and Slovenia plowing through there. But um, there's a lot. This could be all messed up. If there's one, if there's one team that a uh, smoky that gets through, it messes up both of our brackets. So, <laughs> I mean, that's just how the, the strangeness of, of the World Cup. Last one is what is that? Group L. It's Group G and Group H. We had. Uh, Spain, Brazil, France, and Canada. This is probably the toughest one, in my opinion, to pick who's the top two coming out of that. So I'll let you go first. Yeah, I did go with France and Canada, uh, but uh, that is suggesting that the the reigning champs are done in the second round with Spain and uh, still you know, highly talented. They also won that Eurobasket tournament we've spoke about only a year ago. So uh, plenty of familiar faces, highly experienced at the World Cup, but... Uh, I like France. We obviously got a good look at them a couple of nights ago. They started that game really well against the Boomers. And then it's just impossible to ignore the NBA talent on the Canada roster. So even though I think that they're going to have some questions to answer all coming together for the first time, I've still got France and Canada escaping that group that you pointed to. That is that I, I mentioned the top group with uh, Serbia and USA, uh, sorry, Serbia and Italy was going to be entertaining, but this, you're right. I think I, I think I got ahead of myself. This is the pick. Yeah, it is. It is, and I've got the same about France and Canada. Um, I, I don't want to pick against Spain because they obviously they're the bogey team for the Australian boomers over the over the course of our history. But I, I just think that um, not enough, not enough compared to, to France and Canada um, to get through there. Um, so we basically uh, look. Let's leave it at a top eight. We're not going to get too integral with with how this is all going to go because there's a lot that could happen. There's no point trying to predict the next round because a one or two seed could change things. But we have uh, Serbia, Italy, USA, Lithuania, Australia, Slovenia, France, and Canada. That's our, our official top eight, I believe. I um, know oh you had Germany instead of Slovenia, so let's change that. That's our only difference. But that that's kind of – we're pretty close on our top eight. It's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen, like I said, beyond there. There's, there's a lot that can go on in the World Cup with, with seedings and whatnot, and um, that'll be it. But, like, you know, the Lithuania side is definitely – Definitely the favourable side as far as that goes, and we're gonna we're gonna obviously have to face you know one of these powerhouses in the semis to get to a gold medal game if if we get that far. So I think the only question I've got for you then, and and again I was trying to do this bracket and I was working through it and trying to calculate all the standings, and it's an absolute joke. It's impossible to do before the tournament starts. But it, Australia is going to be assuming that they get through to the quarterfinals. They're going to be on a collision course with. Canada, uh, France, Germany, or Spain, one of those teams, it looks like, if the results go through that way. Is there any one of those teams that you look at and you're like, oh, I think that maybe would be a more favorable matchup? Because either way, once the, well, the way the draw has been laid out, once Australia gets to the quarterfinals, hopefully they do, uh, it's, it's absolute blockbusters from there on out. 
Yeah, it's wide open. Um, I don't think so. I think they all have a different poison. I mean, uh, I think, you know, Serbia was a team that we struggled with in the Olympics. We beat them handily in 16 in the pool rounds, and then they smacked us in the semis. I think they scheme, and they're, they're very good at making adjustments. Um, Italy, obviously, in that top eight would be the one that we want to try and somehow get, which I don't think mathematically would work, but if we get them, that'd be perfect. Uh, the U.S. is the U.S. Don't you talk about them. Lithuania is solid. Um, Slovenia or Germany will both be solid. Who would I want? I think we do match up well against France. I, I really do. I think we've played them historically pretty well the last eight years. Like we're just, I think our toughness and physicality gets to them a little bit. We saw in that friendly game a couple of nights ago, all of a sudden some flagrant stuff, some dirty stuff. I, I, they don't like playing against us. They don't like that we're up and in and they don't like Joe Ingles talking shit to them. <laughs> they just don't like, they don't like it. You know, they oh, were France, you know, who are you? They did beat us in that bronze, in that uh, bronze playoff, but you know, we, we were kind of so cooked and deflated from that, that Spain game that I think we, we let one slip there. But um, I, I think France would be the one that I'd pick out of this, out of the, all these teams other than Italy. I think they'd be our best chance to roll through. Yeah, and they had definitely, after, a, again, a really slow start down double digits the other night, they they did look pretty comfortable. They were able to, to work into it. And I think defensively, they feel fine. Uh, and they actually were able to open up a lot of lanes to the basket with Gobert on the floor and sort of get him away from the rim a little bit. That, that'll be a question for me with this team, particularly if the three-point shots aren't falling. Um, we saw a little bit of zone in the Brazil game and, and teams are obviously going to try and pack the paint and stop um, Josh Giddy and Paddy Mills and all these guys getting downhill. And even with Dwight as someone that can score pretty well around the basket, he's got nice hands. So I think, again, we've discussed it throughout. I think the offense is, is a question for mine um, with this team. And the only other thing, I know we mentioned Jock Landau a lot, and I saw you tweet about it just in terms of the health stuff and we discussed it here. Uh, when you found out that he was out for the World Cup, uh, how significant was that for you in terms of your projections for what you think this team can do? Look, I think it makes a difference. It puts more pressure on Duop. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, Gorge is going to go to that Rubik's Cube. And, and just going back to France real quick, I think the one thing we found was playing X at the five against France is manageable because Rudy's a center, but he's not a – like you want him, like all right, you want to post us up, cool. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, post, yeah, that's perfect for us. Like post up, shoot a hook shot, fantastic. Like we love that. So, I think that's why I like that that matchup. But yeah, it's 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 with Jock out. I, I think that a lot of things that he does for that group aren't shown on a stat sheet. He runs the floor like a banshee. Like he's his <laughs> rim to rim runs cause so much havoc for other teams and are such a positive net positive for us that all of a sudden you kick it ahead of Joe on the wing, he attacks, kicks the patty for an open three because a guard's going to tag Jock because he's just, you know, blown by in the open court. He's, he's big, who's still trying to compete for a rebound and he's just gone, right? So he causes issues there. He's taken a big step defensively the last 12 to 18 months, in my opinion. I think he's much better defensively this, this tournament around than he was in, in, in Tokyo and, and beyond um, because he he's figured out how to play. You know, that Phoenix squad, they need a bit more defense, more toughness. I think he grew in strides against, you know, trying to hinder what Jokic did uh, to an extent. You can't stop it, but he tried to hinder and be physical. So I think he's got that that good mix. You know, he's, he's probably our – I would say he's he's our best roller, and that's the big concern I have. Um, Reith, Reith mixes up pretty well where he pops sometimes and rolls sometimes. 
but Jock's rolls are, are a million miles an hour and he's rolling hard to that rim and then finding the dunker spot and playing out of that really well. That's the thing that I think we might miss. And that's my concern with small ball lineups. When you go small ball lineups, who's your roller? You don't really have one because teams are just going to one, th- one through five switch you for the most part. So they're going to switch every ball screen. You don't really have that head of steam roll, that head of steam going downhill off a of pick and roll because it's just a switch. So that's why I don't, I don't love small ball lineups at times because of that. And Jock won't get an assist for rolling hard when it frees up Patty for a three or Joey for a three. But that's they're the things that I think they they might find a little bit of a struggle with when Reese off the floor. Did it take Jock and you were around the team and we've discussed the changing of the guard a little bit. Did it take him a while, in in your opinion, when you were around the team, for him to to have that comfort level and and really understand his role and grab the idea of where he fits with all these guys? Because I think. That's something to watch with this team as well. Just a lot of guys that know each other pretty well, but haven't been in a tournament like this. And Patty and Joe have been the guys, and you were there, and Daly's not there for this tournament, and obviously Aaron Baines as well. So did you sense that it took some time, and do you have any concern about that? Uh, for, for Jock, it, did, like it, it does. If any young guy coming in, you got to figure out you know, spots and, and strengths. Paddy likes it off this off this wing for a handoff. Like Paddy generally likes to go right off off things, right? Like coming off a pin down, he likes it. he's really good going downhill off his right hand, shooting that pull up or, or coming onto his right hand off pin downs, right? He he's not as good coming off his left. Capable, but you gotta know those things. Joey, okay, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna try to force him right, but Joey, I can even set the screen the other way and he's gonna sneak back to his right. So then I'm gonna get out of his way when I'm rolling. So there's all these little nuances, and Jock's a high basketball IQ guy, so he picked that up well. Reed's a little bit different. Reed, I think, is a guy that you're like, hey, when you do this, you gotta do this. I, I wouldn't not saying his basketball IQ is as high uh, as Jock's, but I think his strengths are different. It's more he he needs to be put in like a little this is your wheelhouse. We need you to dominate this wheelhouse. We, can, we probably can't give him as much freedom because you're playing through Gideon and Patty, and that's not Reese's strength. Like I said, he's not a guy that you're going to throw the ball to and create something for us, you know, a la kind of what Jock did, what, what Xavier Cooks can do, what, what myself, what Baines could do. I've had a handoff, some passing, right? So just knowing that and adjusting, and I think the younger guys are starting to figure out, you know, how to play off Patty, how to play off a Giddy. That, that's, that's an adjustment. Um, I don't think – the Joey thing, like I said, that's the big that lie for me is we haven't seen Joey get hot in one of these games where he's dominated a game, not just scoring, but just create creativity wise, pick and roll. I think teams, from what I heard at camp, he, he did really well with that. And guys were kind of surprised with how well he, he does out of the pick and roll. Cause like I said, the old mark on him is he's slow and not athletic, but he just gets it done. So I think guys are figuring out along the way. I think Jock's big jump was being able to be with that boomers team early, then going and playing with KD and, and these guys and, and having a having a hey, I'm I'm the fifth I'm I'm probably the seventh option when I'm out on the floor and there's five guys out there if that makes sense right like I'm playing with these guys that are like hall, potential hall of famers like I'm not going to get touches the traditional way I got to find ways to be effective and that's the great thing about these Australian team is we've had guys that are you know have been two three four options on their team some guys that have been off the bench a la Patty with the Spurs you know they all understood different roles on different teams and that's the biggest thing about the Boomers is you generally understand that coming in so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all adjusts um, everyone's obviously proud on that team and wants to play well individually but at the end of the day someone's going to get screwed out of minutes someone's going to get screwed out of touches and your your national teams for all the people listening your formula is how do you handle that you can have the most talented team how do you handle your ninth man's only playing four minutes a game, but for his for his professional team, he's the man. 
Is that going to cause a problem in the locker room? Is that going to cause a problem with touches? Are guys going to be bitching, hey, you look me off on that play, I was wide open. Are there are there players on the team competing for stats, which can happen sometimes? So that they're the biggest challenges, I think, for national teams. When you when the barometer of success for me is leave your bullshit at the door. Like, all right, yeah, you're a free agent. Don't use the national team, which we had. We had that with the boomers culture early in my tenure. I'm talking early 2000s. We had, we had guys coming into tournaments that had an, had an NBL deal or a Euro deal that were like, you could tell they were coming in like, oh, if I have a good world, I'm going to get a contract. I'm like, no, like, we, we don't, no, that's the wrong mindset. You know, yeah, you want to be proud and passionate about your individual performance, not at the detriment of, of the team and what we're building. And the boomers, the last 10 years, have done a fantastic job of that. That's the concern that you have with a younger group coming in and, and pride in individual stats. I don't think it's going to cause an issue, but that's that's the the formula for most national teams. And, and just quickly, that's why you see we've seen historically some national teams with like the most star-started lineups just falter and fizzle out. That's why. That's it's it's not really a secret. No, I love it. It's it's great insight because I think that looking at this training camp and we've gone through it over the last few weeks and I'm not sure how you felt about it, but as I was trying to say, okay, well, these are the guys that I think are the locks. These are the guys that are on the bubble. You got to pick a basketball team. The personality stuff that you mentioned absolutely has to come into it. And I think that's why when you, we were having different conversations about someone like Dali, it's like, well, at least, you know, if he's going to be there, it's going to be, that's, it'll be fine. He's been there before. He understands um, what it takes, but this is kind of a situation where they are changing the guard. Did you look at this, squad and this training camp and all the cuts they had to make was it clear cut for you looking at it from your position and obviously you speak to to some of the guys but was it a challenge for you to to work through this process as well there was there was one um i had it down to i think it was dyson and Daly, i believe yep. uh, and yep. i think jack white i think it was that's who i had it out of those those three but i think jack white's grown a lot um you know shot it almost well 40 percent in the g league um unbelievably the way he shot it. And even, even the couple of shots that he shot all bar one that I saw off his hand were beautiful. No, no hesitation, not thinking about it and, and, and cashing them for the most part. I don't know if you heard this though. Um, I'm going to break this on the pod, but I heard that uh, Delhi was actually told not to come to Cairns camp. Did you hear this? No. Yes. Yeah, so I, I heard that uh, Delhi was, was basically not in the initial squad. A la Aaron Baines, you got told, Hey, we're not bringing you to the Cairns, um, the Cairns camp. And uh, conversation went with whoever caught him to make that call. I think it was Gorge and, and BA staff. And Daly was like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to camp. I'm coming to the camp. <laughs> and they were like, no, like you're not in the squad. You're not in the 16 that we had or the 17 or whatever. And I guess they, there was a back and forth, I believe. And Daly was just like, you need, you're going to have to look me in the face and cut me. Like, basically I'm going to, I'm going to prove you wrong. And, People look at that like, oh, what the hell? I loved it because I think like, you know, not obviously, not, obviously there's not a lot of people that have the currency to do that. Like, look, if you're a guy that's like a fringe guy that's never made the national team, you can't be doing that. But he was like, you know, it's probably a tough thing for him. He's been an integral part of the national team. Um, unfortunately for him, probably the last campaign or two, he's, his body's burnt out mid-tournament. Like the guy just plays himself to exhaustion. And by game, th- game two or three, he's like cramping and like literally like – bad, bad cramping every tournament because he just plays so hard, right? So I think his age hurt him a little bit, but that's just a little story that I heard. And I'm, I'm like, that's into the mind of Daly. I think it was great. And from what I heard, he really, once he got that call, like, I don't know if you saw photos of him at camp, he was ripped. <laughs> he was <laughs> like, yeah, so he took it he took it personally and, and that's the right mindset. I know, I know he's been on record saying 
I didn't want to go back to the NBA. I think he could have got another deal with Sack as the veteran leader in that locker room. Um, coach, the coach there loved him in, in Sacramento, Mike Brown. And he said, no, I need to, I need to play. I can't just sit on a bench, even though the NBA is great. I need to go. And that's why he signed back in the NBL because he wants to springboard that into a Tokyo, into a uh, Paris run, excuse me. So, but just a little tidbit into the mind of, of how that worked. And I believe he, he went to the camp, did pretty well, but they still thought, look, you're not there anymore. And that's the unfortunate, tough decision Gorge had to make. And the same one he had to make with Aaron Baines, you know, didn't have a great year last season, lift not there, legs not there. Um, I'm saying Baines going to have a great NBL season with a good off season now, but that's, that's just a little tidbit that I heard, which I'm, I believe is true. No, I love it. And it's, uh, I agree with you when you're telling that story, I feel like I'm getting fired up because I'm just like, I love the attitude. And, uh, when he was at that scrimmage and he came to Melbourne United a, a couple of weeks ago, I just asked him straight up. I said, look, this is going to be tough to make this world cup squad. How do you feel about it? And he was typical Dally. He said, no, 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 I, I'm, I've been an underdog. I'm going to do my best. I think I can make the team. But he also did reference, the, to your point, that when he came back to the NBL and I asked him, well, why did you do this now? And it wasn't about uh, getting through training camp and, and anything about this World Cup. He didn't mention that. He just said, no, I got my eyes on Paris. I wanted to play basketball. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that that was the case. And I, I did look at those photos and he was looking like he was in pretty good shape. But uh, my opinion, when he didn't make this team and I, I tweeted or I didn't say anything about the guys that were coming into the squad, all I said is uh, that you know, we should appreciate what he's done because of the attitude he's brought um, to this team. You've obviously seen it firsthand. And um, that story is, that's one for the Daly Files because I, I you've said that. I hope that that's true because I love it. Uh, and there's no doubt, I said at the time, I wouldn't write him off completely from next year either because we know that he's not going to give up. So uh, that's that's pretty cool stuff for me. Yeah, you never know with injuries. I mean, you're, you're one thing if you're Gorge, um, having Dally as a 17, 18, 19 guy, you know he's not just going to put the cue in the rack after he's cut, right? Like he's So, you know, you never know. Someone could have an injury. There could be a team, maybe a team that says, hey, Hey Josh, you were banged up this season. We don't want you to go to the Olympics. And then there's, you know, maybe someone has to miss. Um, where all of a sudden Delhi's still there. You know, at least he's in shape and still in that mental being to to be able to come back into the squad. You can't say that for a lot of a lot of guys that were in the national team squad previously. Some big names previously that got omitted, and then they're they're, they're bitter at the coach or the or the world, and you probably can't bring them back in. Delhi's not that guy. I think you can bring him back easily. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. Let's just finish with a couple of Q and A's from our from our listeners. Um, before we head off, this one's from Instagram. Uh, it's Harry Brill is the username. I'll go to you with this one first. Which team is a smoky to win the World Cup for you? Well, I don't know if it's a true smoky because I, well, it depends what you classify as a smoky. I would say, I mean, USA are the, are the raging favorites. But to me, if, I, if we look at the teams and Canada's right there, France is there. But based on the... The draw, and neither of us had them in our final eight. Does Spain qualify as a smoky? They are the number one team in the world, and they shouldn't technically qualify as a smoky, but they're well down the list. And even today, Rudy Fernandez, who feels like he's been playing for about 70 years for the Spanish national team, said that I don't think we can win the, the, the World Cup, but they are a team with the, the group that they have to get through. I think they would be an absolute outsider, but uh, I don't think I can rule them out completely. Yeah, I think he's putting some some dartboard material on his on his own squad's <laughs> locker room, which, which yes, is a, right. probably a little bit strategic there. Yep. But I, I don't think you can have Spain as a smoky because they're ranked so high. Um, I'm I'm going to go with Canada, and I think they they are a smoky just because they've never been even in the conversation. Now they have the talent on their roster, but they've had they've had some talented squads previously, but never put it all together. But I think just just based on their history with world basketball being pretty 
what is it, a one-pager? It's maybe a one-page resume for that. <laughs> Haven't had a whole, whole lot of success. Nash didn't really do much with them um, So back when he played, so they've never really been spoken about. So from that aspect, I'll look at, look at them as a, as a smoky. Um, but, yeah, I wonder if there's any of these teams that we've missed in the first round that, that potentially get through a South Sudan, someone like that. I, I don't know, but I'll, I'll go with Canada. All right, uh, Facebook, Aaron Ridgeway. Given that we are smaller this year and we have long athletic guards compared to past tournaments, do you think we'll see more up the court, full court pressure defense this World Cup? What are your thoughts? Uh, potentially, yeah, because I do think that uh, for this team as well, and you already referenced the game yeah, with Thibault, we'll get his four or five steals. I'm sure we'll see that multiple times through this tournament. But I, I do think that this team is going to have to create other ways to score and whether you can get those deflections and turn them into transition possessions and play that pressure defense, I think it's going to help. I, I don't think that in the half court you want to be too aggressive because then you can you can obviously open up uh, space behind the play, in the paint, get into the rack. And I don't think they haven't got an Andrew Bogut and, and Jock Landau, who you reference is clearly improved defensively as well. So I, I think early offense, trying to create those deflections and steals might be might be a nice way to go, particularly if you do have that small ball lineup that you referenced with Green and Thibel. Those two guys are going to cause absolute havoc. Yeah, I agree. You'd be silly not to. You'd be silly to, to have that defensive lineup out there and just running back to the three and just playing conservative defensively. I think we saw that in Tokyo at times, especially with Slovenia. They got up, up and into them and just caused havoc with turnovers. And I think their best offense will be their defense with that group. So I think it's a no-brainer. I would. I don't think you'll see a you know a junior style two-two-one press. Um, I think you'll see a full court pickup or a three-quarter court pickup where Matisse is hounding the, the handler. You play a Slovenia, Matisse is going to make sure that that Doncic is is using every part of his legs just to bring the ball up the floor. Um, and that's what worked for, well for him last Olympics. So I definitely think that would happen. Last one. This is from uh, Peter Johnson on Twitter. Uh, nickname, uh, his username is Massive Johnson Seven, so I assume that's a tall, <laughs> tall man. Um, yes, that's so right. Anyway, his question is: uh, Is Reith an NBA caliber player, in your opinion? Look, I don't think he's that far off, and we've seen guys that have, in recent years, been able to have success in the NBL. He was pretty good here. He's a little bit up and down, but that was a. a a Illawarra team that just had uh, guys that wanted the ball in their hands one through five. Uh, but I think we saw him play a style of basketball in summer league, which was effectively just crashing the glass. He blocked a couple of shots per game and finished around the rim. That That is literally what teams are looking for from their backup center. You spoke about Jock Landau, how he doesn't have any ego about the type of role he's going to have in the NBA. And he found himself on a team that was trying to contend, playing real playoff minutes. So I, I think that there are differences between him and Landau. They're not a perfect comparison. And Landau probably a better facilitator. You can do a little bit more with him offensively. But I think uh, Reith being able to uh, pop to the three-point line, shoot that three, but and have really nice hands, I, I don't think that it would be a huge shock that if he has a nice tournament here, that down the road in the next six to 12 months, we could see him, whether it's a two-way role or on the fringe of the NBA, because I think he's had a, a pretty strong couple of years. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's right on the cusp. I think he... You know, that three ball is a big one for him. And, and you don't want you don't want him to fall in love with that where he's, you know, all of a sudden just becomes a pick-and-pop guy because he's so much more than that. But his ability to, to finish, at least in the lead-up games, which was a bit of an issue for him in the last tournament, didn't play a lot, but like sometimes bobbled the ball on a, on a, on a drop pass for a pick-and-roll or an in-and-out layup. He's finished a lot of those this lead-up tournament. And he has that ability to every now and then just pop because with the, with the horses they have out there, 
shooting the ball from three, you're kind of like, all right, like if Reef makes a few, we'll live with that. He's going to have that opportunity. And if he knocks one down a game, two down a game, fantastic. I think defensively he's solid. He's a big body. Dunked on Rudy, so he's not he's not shy to get up um, get up on the rim. So I think he's right there. I think a lot of times these things, a la Jock Landale, it just comes down to a strange timing. All of a sudden a team likes you. All of a sudden a team has a free agent spot to take a flyer on you, a Xavier Cooks or something like that. And I think that's what – he's going to have to have a little bit of luck along the way, but I think he's probably our best prospect that's currently not in the NBA that has a chance to get there. So I would agree with that. But uh, that wraps up the pod. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate you joining us. I think um, our fans will definitely enjoy the insight. Uh, we look forward to, to hearing your your lovely voice on the uh, telecast <laughs> of the ESPN um, and, and, and seeing what you have to say there with, with the games coming up. No, it was a pleasure. And uh, I did say I owed you uh, a few, so I've still got a couple in the bank, so feel free to hit me up. But uh, it's it's fun. This is the best part of the job. We just bullshit about basketball for a couple of hours, and uh, I throw some questions your way as well. So this was, uh, this was a good chat. I appreciate it. All good. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Let's get rogue.